Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversation with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Ali. This is all ball and um, uh, I'm sure based upon so many of the responses that I've gotten on social media into my cell on IG remember that's at Gottlieb show on Twitter on IG um, I've gotten so many responses as to Jason Hooten's part one man I gotta hear coach Hoots part two don't worry we got it for you the new New Mexico State head coach in in this part of, I think we went about a little over an hour, hour 15. Um, he Again, he was recording this the morning of his anniversary, his wedding anniversary. So what a great dude. So I had to press him on how did he meet his wife. And he tried to kind of wiggle out of the question. But I wouldn't let him wiggle out of the question. Come on, you know me, guys. Anyway, um, welcome in. I do think that before we get to Coach Hoot, I give you my opinion on uh, the sudden and I think deserved firing retirement of Bob Huggins. And I, I'm, I'm sure some of you who are uh, avid listeners are like, wait a second, Gottlieb, weren't you the guy who defended Bob Huggins when he made his remarks on Cincinnati radio station? I was. I, I didn't defend his remarks. I defended the fact that, look, he's been at this a long time. It, it felt like he was, frankly, it felt like he was at a bar with a couple of his buddies and, you know, using words in ways in which in 2023, we don't use them anymore. And as much as those comments, you know, are reprehensible, like we also got to be honest that guys say stuff all the time and there should be a pushback to it. I just didn't think it rose to the level of ending a Hall of Fame career. This is different. Um, there's a lot to it. It's not his first DUI. It's not his first DUI at West Virginia. I mean, the guy has a driver in his contract. I mean, it's just, uh, it's it angers you. Uh, it angers me. I mean, for people who don't know, yes, my head coach's uh, career at Oklahoma State, Eddie Sutton, came to a sudden end uh, because he fell off the wagon. He had a DUI, and I was the guy who... If, if you want to kind of dial back, one of the reasons I was pretty stern on SportsCenter, this is years ago when Eddie Sutton had his DUI, was six months previous, Bob Huggins had gotten a DUI at Cincinnati. And I had gone on TV and said, hey, I, I just don't think you can be a highest paid member of a faculty, state university. and 
um, be so reckless that you take other people's lives into your hands. The difference with Huggins at that point in time and with my coach, Coach Sutton's, I don't want to say there's a zero tolerance policy, but uh, Huggins was on, it was right after a recruiting home visit, whereas Coach Sutton was on his way to meet the team on a plane to go to Texas A&M. And like, look, this is 15 years later. I kind of wish I'd recused myself, right? Just I was really upset and I wanted to be the guy who was fair. And by fair, it means if you're going to be stern with your commentary towards Huggins, you got to be stern with your commentary towards uh, a man who you think is like a second father to you as Coach Sutton was. Uh, plus, you know, the other thing was we always were taught accountability. And I did think there was a, an amount of accountability needed. And what's weird about that one is when it happened, there were a lot of my Oklahoma State brethren especially people around the basketball program who are really upset with me. You know, they told me that, you know, I, I should recuse myself. It's coach. You know, I, if I really love him, like, you know, I would have been offered up a second chance. And I just, I just didn't think it was the reality of the time. And what's crazy is crazy. So I was like kind of out of a little bit of the basketball circle for, I don't know, three, six months. And when I finally got a chance to go speak with coach, he pulled me aside and he said, you know, I'm, I wasn't mad at you. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I, it just, it struck me as the most amazing thing a man could do where he said, like, he took so much of the weight off my shoulders because I felt terrible. I hadn't seen him. And I just, I thought he would hate me, you know, because I knew how much he loved Oklahoma State and loved our program and had rebuilt our program. And it really pained me to say something that I did think was true, which is can't be a coach at a major university on your way to meet a team plane and have a DUI. Like, it's just not acceptable. So anyway, six months later, you know, at least in his eyes, all were forgiven. And that's all that mattered to me. Um, and he, he knew he was wrong. And he, I don't believe, drank again. So now we fast forward to Coach Huggins. And, you know, you're only a couple months removed from his contract being changed and him nearly losing his job, getting a three-game suspension, and he gets a DUI of 0.21. So a little, another little backstory on my own personal experience with a DUI. I, I know I have not had one. When I was in New York... This is probably seven years ago, maybe eight, eight years ago. I was driving to pick up my family at JFK. They had traveled, I think it was over like a February break. And I was going to pick them up from the airport. Uh, and I was driving right by World the World Trade. And I was... I never forget, I was looking around and I was, you know, when you're in Battery Park and it's cold outside and kind of blustery, but it was clear that night and windy, it was so peaceful and kind of beautiful and serene. And yet I've never gotten myself to go to One World Trade just because, I don't know, that level of evil and that level of sorrow, 
I just, I struggle with emotionally from a personal standpoint. So I remember driving down the West Side Highway and I was rolling forward and all of a sudden it was like a, excuse the term, but like a bomb exploded in the back of my car. My airbags went off. I got pushed into like a, if, if you remember, if you live in New York about eight years ago, they used to always have like a barrier on the right side, right by One, uh, one World Trade. And on the left side up at, there's a stoplight there, uh, there was the big guard tower. And I edged into a metal, the cement barrier. And when I got out of my car and realized what had happened, there was a drunk driver who had hit me. Uh, obviously, I was okay. My car was totaled. Thankfully, I was rolling forward. He hit two other cars. Their cars were totaled. And the, the, the guy ended up blowing a .24. And uh, he went to jail for six months. I actually randomly ran into him parking my car a year later. But the point is that when you've experienced it and you have done nothing wrong and somebody else nearly takes your life away and takes everything that you have and, you know, potentially takes you as a father away from your children, you start to understand the gravity of drinking and driving. So I'm, I'm not one of these vigilant persons who wants to go march and wants every person to get fired from their job for any little menial infraction. And I am understanding of there are times in which you have an extra glass of wine, you're slightly built and you shouldn't be driving, but you try to get home. And again, it's not okay, but a 0.21, if you estimate um, that Bob Huggins is 260 pounds, is 15 beers in four hours. That's a lot of beer. I, I, I don't remember ever drinking 15 beers in one sitting. Maybe I claimed I did one time in college, but there's no chance I ever did. So doing, having that sort of reckless behavior. Um, and then, of course, you factor in like now we're in the day and age where you have Uber. So like I have no sympathy. I have very little sympathy for anybody. But then you factor in that Bob Huggins has a driver in his contract because of previous DUIs. And I'm not upset. It's not like he made me look bad, right? But he made me look bad, right? I mean, that's the, the reality to it is that anyone who's a defender of Bob Huggins was made to look a fool because we all knew that he drank and drank often and oftentimes drank too much. And this makes you look foolish because it's like being surprised that a loaded gun goes off. I didn't know he would drink and drive, especially, you know, if you read the details of the story. Um, it is also interesting, though, like, I don't know if you know, Marshawn Lynch got a DUI. Uh, he was driving up on the curb. His tires were shredded. And there's video of it. He has not, nobody batted an eye. Now, he wasn't on a team at the time. But he's still doing broadcasting, I think, for Amazon, even afterwards. So I just, I don't know, from a personal perspective, in regards to DUIs, I have very, very, very little patience for them. And then from a professional perspective, I think we all know that um, the rules are and should be more stringent to people who are highly compensated. 
Um, and, you know, again, not his first foray into this thing. But more than anything, I, I yes, I defended Bob Huggins. I don't feel bad at all for defending Bob Huggins as a man and as a coach. As I said then, and I mean it now, people I talked to at West Virginia loved him. And he treated people really, really well. But this is not something that you can maintain your position as head coach. And then when you couple it on, on the back of, you know, he was on probation essentially for the remarks in the Cincinnati radio station. And it's a shame. But I would tell you that my perspective on it in terms of how he went out, right? you always have people go, well, I want to go out on my own terms. Those are your own terms. Is that fair? Those are your own terms. You know, nobody forced you to drink and drive. Nobody forced you to, to have this type of behavior. And so those are your terms. So how do you wrap up his career? I, I know that, look, I'm friends with Dan Dockich, but being friends with somebody and going on their show does not mean you agree with any half or all of their opinions. What I like about Dan is he says what he thinks. I just don't agree oftentimes with what he thinks. My lasting view of Coach Hugs is uh, he was one old school in that, you know, a hardcore kind of tell it like it is disciplinarian style coach who at times lacked his own personal self-discipline. Right? And that's a, a really hard one for um, kids, especially today to take. Right. It's like, how do you get on to me about my personal habits when your personal habits aren't great? That's a hard one. His teams competed. They cared for each other. I, they, they defended, they rebounded. And he had that run at Cincinnati where they won, what was it seven straight league titles? And I think three or maybe even four different conferences. And it was like the Metro of uh, the great Midwest. Do you guys remember the great Midwest? Con the great Midwest. Conference USA, and then I don't think he won the Big East regular season. Uh, maybe it was the Metro, the Great Midwest, and then CUSA. Yes, yeah, so it was like three leagues, seven years. It's crazy. Um, and like Cincinnati basketball was Bob Huggins. Just was. Um, he is a remarkably likable and charming guy. He won everywhere he was, everywhere he went. And, you know, his players by and large really liked him. He was incredibly demanding, but fa fair in his demands, you know, fair from a perspective of like, he, he wasn't yelling at guys or getting onto dudes to do something that they weren't capable of. It was about defending, playing hard, rebounding, you know, and even going to class. Like I, I know a story of a couple of guys who played for him at Cincinnati. And this is like my favorite Huggins story that was confirmed by one of the guys. Maybe we'll try and get him on. Uh, but he, he got caught skipping class in Cincinnati early on in his career. And Huggins' punishment was you had to run on the track until he finished his cigar. And it was raining, so his cigar kept going out. And he had an umbrella, but sometimes didn't have the umbrella going just to let the cigar go out and then relight it. And it was all the way down until it was at the nub. And then he called the two players in. And 
one of the players, he said to him, you're too dumb to be skipping class. So either you're going to be a track star and flunk out or you're going to get your shit together. He got his shit together. He has a degree from Cincinnati. Anyway, um, what does it do to West Virginia basketball? You know, Ren Baker's the athletic director. I have not spoken to him since. I only, you know, wished him good luck. And I, I, no one wants to do that. No one wants to fire their coach in the middle of the offseason after they've, you know, loaded up on talented players with a massive amount of NIL, you know, and it was supposed to be Huggins kind of the last year or two. And, you know, lots of people hypothesized that, you know, Grant McCaslin would have been the guy because, of course, he hired Grant at North Texas and he left North Texas to go to West Virginia. And then, of course, Grant, unfortunately, left North Texas to go to Texas Tech. So I don't know if they'll do the interim thing. And maybe by the time this pod drops, we'll have a greater sense of it. The interesting part is what happens with all those players. And I find it really, really hard to believe that all of them will stay. And even if they do stay, you know, the number one thing you do when you're a head coach in college, and this again is from the perspective of a guy who hasn't done it, but I've observed it, is especially the older, respected Hall of Fame variety guys. The number one thing you do is manage your roster and their expectations. And you get them to play hard regardless of what they're making in NIL. And it, it's hard for a lot of these coaches because they haven't dealt with it before. But I, I think Huggins is kind of the perfect guy for it because they come to play for him. They obviously come to play for the NIL check as well. You know, because the donors are all on board with Bob Huggins, obviously previous to this, that there's no division between the collective and the coaching staff. That's where these where these things go bad is where people in the collective get upset of what the coaches who the coaches uh, playing and if they're paying a kid who's not playing and how that's all handled. And it leads to, frankly, what happened at Texas Tech. So I don't know how it works or how they handle it, but I'm guessing that it's not going to be nearly as good as it would have been had Huggins not gotten drunk and got behind a wheel of a car. Because if you bring in the interim guy, uh, he's just trying to keep it together, no matter how strong a guy is. If you bring in a new head coach, those guys didn't go to play for him. And you can make the case they didn't go to play for Huggins anyway. They went to play for the NIL. But the reality is you still got to play for the coach. You still want to be able to play. And a lot of it is going to be based upon how much you play is how much you make. So it dramatically changes how you look at West Virginia in the Big 12, how you look at West Virginia overall. I guess probably by the next pod, we'll be able to record it and tell you what our thoughts are once the coaching staff is settled. But that's the end of another Hall of Fame career. And again, if you stop and think about it and have kind of true perspective, you go, damn, I didn't realize that. Roy Williams, Jim Beheim, Mike Krzyzewski, you know, you just start going through all these names of dudes. Jay Wright wasn't isn't old. He's older than you think. But Jay Wright, Bob Huggins. I mean, just go and think of the laundry list of Hall of Fame caliber coaches that have just walked away from college basketball. 
for a variety of reasons. And that's why the sport's in this kind of weird space, right? Like, uh, for the players, you can make the case it's healthier than it's ever been because guys are getting paid now. But the reality is, we've always watched games based upon the coach and the jersey. And then we've learned about the players. And it's hard to learn about the players because they switch places so often. And now the coaches are often very new faces. So there's not as much of a draw outside of the NCAA tournament. And the real draw to the NCAA tournament is the bracket. And the crazy thing about it is how many people out there who follow, love the sport, want the bracket to expand, which I think is a terrible idea. It's not just because it would water down the NCAA tournament, but the bracket works as it is, right? It's perfect in its simplicity. I know it's truly a 68-team field, but it's really a 64-team bracket. And that just works for one page of paper. You have six games to win it. You fill it out. It's legalized gambling. Everybody's done it for years. And it's incredibly well televised, perfectly uh, promoted. Like It's literally the perfect sporting event. Takes place over three weeks, culminates in a Final Four. The whole thing is awesome. And you have people who don't understand. You don't change awesome. Nothing is perfect. It's as close to perfect as possible. Trying to make something more perfect never works out. All right, let's get to part two of our co- our talk with Coach Hooten. He's the new head coach at New Mexico State. We talked a lot about recruiting in the transfer portal in part one. If you missed it, you should download it. It's awesome. Um, he signed 13 new players. But he joined me on the morning of his anniversary. And there's a bunch of other great stories in there. But I think the best one is how he met his wife. Here's Coach Hooten. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's go back. How'd you get the Sam Houston job? 
Wow. Um, so, you know, I was at Tarleton all those years and, right. and uh, met my wife over there. And how did you guys meet? Since, since today's your anniversary, how'd you meet your wife? Oh, dude, I can't actually probably tell you that on, on air. Uh, it's crazy. Right. But so my wife, so when you're a D2 coach, and you know all this already, but maybe everybody out there doesn't, but you have to teach classes. And so, you know, I got my master's degree from Tarleton. They hired me as an assistant and told me I'd have two years to get my master's. I got it in a year. And then you teach, like you teach PE classes. Like I taught tennis and badminton. I taught, uh, uh, man, I taught racquetball. I taught first aid. So you teach classes. Well, I teach one semester, I taught a coaching basketball class and uh, some beautiful six, five foot 10 blonde walked in. And, you know, I was like, holy cow, she's pretty hot. But I'm also, you know, I'm also yeah, six years older. I'm on yeah. staff. I'm six years older. So anyway, fast forward four years later, and uh, she was in her last semester of school, and she was taking um, TA. Yeah. So she was a TA for me. And so she was fixing to graduate at Christmas. And so I was like, wow. And she was working down at the Parks and Rec. Uh, she was coaching a little uh, basketball team, a little dribblers team down at the Parks and Rec. And my cousin ran the Parks and Rec. And so I was down there all the time with him hanging out. And so one of my buddies who I had actually played with was hanging around trying to finish his degree. And I was like, you know, I mean, it was, it was like, you know, still young coach and I don't know, 27, 26 and so she was probably, what, 22, I guess, 23, I don't know. So anyway, uh, one of my buddies came home one night. He was like, hey, there's this blonde, and she's, I don't, you know, she said she was your TA last semester. And anyway, I think, she, I think she'd like to go out with you. And so anyway, we ended up ended up going out. And uh, man, so we So your cousin had to tee it up for you? Uh, actually, my, my roommate teed it up. So he would, played with me, but he was one of those guys that like, you know, finished, didn't finish school. So he came back to finish school and was hanging out. So he's the one that actually, he actually teed it up for me. So, but anyway, we ended up, ended up getting married. We built a nice little house well, on the hold golf on, course. Hold there. on, hold on, hold on. Don't, 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 don't skip the details. So your, your yeah. old teammate sets you up and he yeah. says, Hey, this girl wants to go. Did you call her? Like, again, this is old school. How, how did it all go down? So anyway, we went, I went down to one of her games down there and, uh, so you know, you're in the stands like itty bitty, itty bitty yeah. ball, and she's coaching. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. and really good coach, you know. And so I'm, anyway, just end up asking her out, and and uh, it's it's interesting because hopefully she won't listen to this, but she's gonna listen to this because she's a fan of yours. She'll listen. <laughs> so I go pick her up at her place. I'll never forget this. And I'm a I'm OCD and I'm a neat freak, right? Like house has to be spotless, closet spotless. So I go pick her up, and then. I walk in and she's renting this house with these other girls. And so I walk in and number one checkpoint, number one, she's got ESPN on. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is, this is going the right way. Yeah. So I'm like, Hey, uh, can I use your bathroom real quick? She's like, yeah, sure. So I walk in her bedroom and spotless bed made, everything's picked up. So I go in her bathroom and her bathroom is like spotless. And I'm like, holy cow, this is, you know, and it's funny because, you know, at that time you're like, what, 28 years old, you know, you're like, man, 
you know, you're dating all these different girls or like, is something wrong with me? I should be getting married by now, or at least, you know, you know how it is. You're, you're starting to think. And so I'm like, man, this is the one, like, you know, this is the one. So we go to this little Italian food place. Uh, it's actually still there in Stephenville now to this day. And, and uh, so that was, that was our first date. We dated, we dated a year and then we got engaged and then we were engaged for a year and got married, got married in 2000, uh, June 17th, 2000. So today's 23 years. Um, it's kind of funny because uh, we dated a year and I was, you know, fighting it. You know, the fact that I was actually getting close to be maybe asking someone to marry me. And we were running on a treadmill one day and uh, together and she was right next to me and she says, uh, so what's going on? Like, where's this? where's this thing going? You know? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? I, I mean, what, what, what do you mean? And she was like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're we, you know, are we getting married or what are we doing? And I'm like, Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, I think we're getting closer. And she says, well, I can tell you this, we, we better hurry up and get closer. I'm not going to be around very long. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I married. Are you uh, offering me a scholarship coach, or are you yeah, not offering me a scholarship yeah. coach? So I, I married a, I married a good one, man. She's a coach, and she coaches. Actually, she's going to take this year off. Uh, our daughter will be a senior, and she's actually coached our daughter the last three years in volleyball and softball. But she's, she's going to take this year off and just sit in the stands and be a mom and enjoy our daughter's senior year. So, got a son that's a freshman. He's a tennis player. A uh, good tennis player and and plays a lot of tennis. So, but anyway, to answer your question, I, I so we uh, we were there. We built a house in 2000. We lived in that house for about two years. And Bob Marlin was at uh, Sam Houston. Sure. And I, I had met him on the road a lot, and uh, he always just made his went out of his way to come up and talk to me uh, all the time, and uh, really liked him. So he called me and uh, he called me in 2000. We had just built the house. We had just gotten married, and he offered me a job. And I was like, Coach, man, I can't do it. You know, I, I feel really bad leaving here. And at this point in time, she just started her job. Uh, she worked at Stephenville High School as an assistant volleyball coach, and the athletic director at the time was Art Browse. And she really liked her job. And um, so we stayed. And then in 2004, uh, about April of 2004, he called again. And he said, hey, listen, uh, I lost my assistant. Would you be interested? And, man, I, I just dug it was time. Uh, I'd been at D2. We were number one in the country in Division Two at the time at Tarleton. And I just kind of felt like I had done everything there that an assistant could do. And uh, Coach Reisman wasn't going to retire anytime soon. So, man, I took a leap of faith. And, you know, one thing I always remember, uh, he told me, he said, man, if you just keep getting me guys here, like you have there, you know, then it's going to work out for everybody and you're going to have a chance maybe someday to get this job. And, you know, I think I took the job on a leap of faith, but also, you know, I, I trusted in him and I believed that we were going to do a good job there. And, you know, and I felt like that it would give me an opportunity to be a head division one coach, as you know, it's really hard to do and get. And I was at the right place at the right time. We had some great teams and the last team in 2010, we went to the NCAA tournament. He got the Lafayette job. Well, Louisiana now, it was Lafayette then. And, uh, man, I got the job there. And we were there, and we were blessed to be there for 13 years. Um, had a lot of lot of success. We ended up uh, passing passing Coach Marlin as the winningest staff there in 
in the history of the school. And um, it was good. We had a great year. And this year was was a lot of fun. You know, went to the NIT and won a game, beat Santa Clara at Santa Clara uh, in the NIT. And, you know, and then this job came open, Doug. And, you know, this is a basketball school. I mean, it's not it's not a secret that there was a lot of stuff going on. And, man, a challenge, to, to say the least. Uh, it was a challenge for sure. But uh, did a lot of praying and just felt like it was the right time to try to make this move and, you know, see see where we can take it. Take me back to Sam Houston. Was there a time, and it's like, I mean, Bob Marlin's a perfect example, right? Really successful, great junior college coach, won junior college national championship. You know, and I was just talking to a, a young coach earlier today, and we were talking about getting stuck. Was there ever a thought that, like, this is where I'm going to be because I can't. It's hard to Heck get yeah. out of, of those jobs. And and like, look, yeah. I understand if you're a Sam Houston fan or a fan of schools in that, like in the Southland or whatever, you're like, well, what, what's so. But I mean, like, look, let's talk about the reality of a job and a business is you're looking for personal growth, professional growth. Was there a time in which you're like, I, I, I don't know if we're ever getting out? Heck, yeah. I mean, even looking at Bob, shoot, I remember, I mean, I shoot, Bob interviewed. He interviewed here with Dr. Boston at New Mexico State. I know he interviewed at Wyoming one time. And, I mean, there were a bunch of places. And, you know, and I mean, he was averaging over 20 wins a year like we were. And, like, he was having a hard time getting out. And, you know, and then in 2010, when we went to the tournament, I think it came down to, to Lafayette and U of H. And, uh, you know, he ended up picking Lafayette, which has been great for him. I think he's been to two or three NCAA tournaments and just got a huge extension. So, but yeah, you feel like you're going to, you're going to get stuck there. And and that's not a bad thing. I mean, you know, if you're at a place, Doug, where people take good care of you, they care about you. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we had went from the Southland to the WAC and the WAC has got to be one of the most underrated basketball conferences in the country. I mean, that league is so dang good. And, you know, but we, you know, the first year in the WAC, we were picked seventh. We tied for second. And then this past year, we were picked eighth. And we, you know, we ended up really second, although the point system thing, we ended up one. But, you know, yeah, you feel like that. And so you know, maybe at this point, you know, 54 years old, uh, 20 wins a year for 13 years, maybe this is it. You know, I felt like this was the time to jump on it and, you know, and Mario Moshe did an unbelievable job of of recruiting our family and making us feel like we're the we're the the group to to get this place back up on its feet again. And uh, so, yeah, I, I thought you know maybe not running out of time, but I just thought this was the time. And I mean, let's be honest. Look at all the coaches that have been here and look where they're at now, or or look where they went when they left here. Right? No question. Uh, I think three out three out of the last four coaches got a quote-unquote power five type job when they left here um so you know I, that's not our goal and intention for sure but <clears throat> you only get that if you're winning right i mean it's like no doubt no doubt you know th- these are these are these are good problems for mario to have if if somebody wants your coach it means you're you're doing the doing the right things um we were supposed to do this when you were driving home right after you first got the job so how far yeah. how far a drive is it from Las Cruces uh, to to Sam Houston State? Uh, it's eleven hours. Yeah, it's eleven hours, maybe ten, ten or eleven. Uh, we okay, still so, have our so, house. 
Okay, so wait, wait, so so you you get the job, right? So you still have your house. So you get the job when you start talking to start talking to Mario. At, at what point did you did you and your wife start looking at real estate? Ah, uh, man, we got back from that Santa Clara game, and we still had the North Texas next round, you know. And so they were, he, you know, Mario was great. Um, you know, he was very respectful. He went through my agent. Um, you know, and then, he, you know, he was pushed for time. And I think he probably had a lot of heat on him from, you know, just I'm sure the perception in the country right now, right? Wondering when are you going to hire a coach and, right. you know, are you going to hire a guy who's going to come in here and have, you know, the characteristics it's going to take to turn turn it around a little bit, so to speak. Um, man, when I got back from Santa Clara, I mean, they flew a they flew a plane into Huntsville, Texas, and there were like seven people in my living room, you know, when I got back. So, um, you know, I didn't have any didn't have anything with the North Texas. I mean, we were trying to beat North Texas. I really felt like if we'd have beat North Texas, and don't take this the wrong way, but I really felt like we could. I I thought we could go to Stillwater and and you know we had gone there in the beginning of the year and they beat us ten or twelve. And Mike's a great coach and. But you know how it is sometimes when you're playing power fives and NIT and it's like the third round, you know, do they really want to be there? You know what I yeah. mean? And yeah. I just felt like if we could have beat North Texas, I felt like we could have went to Stillwater and maybe got that one. Um, but North Texas was playing so well. We had scrimmaged them and beat them pretty good. And, I, you know, they just kicked us that day. But I got home from there and I got on a plane and they flew me out for a day and then flew my family. My wife had a softball game on a Tuesday. So they flew her out Wednesday morning with the kids. And I mean, when they came out that day, we were already, we were already looking. Um, you know what, when I went home, we got ready to go home the next morning and Mario came to pick us up to take us to the plane. And it was, it was interesting, Doug, because I was like, when we walked down, it was like five in the morning. And I said, look, man, I'm not ready to decide. And I know how these car rides can be back to the airport. It's like taking a recruit back to the airport and he's not ready to commit. And it's a really uncomfortable ride, right? Like you're both mm -hmm. sitting there looking at each other and you don't know what to say. And he's not ready to commit and you're ready to get an answer. So I said, look, I don't want this car ride to be weird. I said, when I get home, just give me a, give me a couple hours and I'm going to call you at the end of the day. And this is a Thursday. And he looked at me and he, came up really close in my face and he put his hand on my chest and said, you're the guy, you're the person that can get this place back to where it needs to be. And that really resonated with me, but I got home and of course went to see my AD there. And anyway, at the end of the day, it was, hold on, hold like on, wait, wait, don't, don't, don't skip. What's that like? What's that walk into your AD's office? Like, uh, I sat down and, uh, uh, you know, the first the first time we just talked, like it wasn't the decision yet. Cause I really, Doug, I really hadn't made up my mind. Really, honestly. I didn't know what I was gonna do. And, you know, it was interesting because on the plane ride back, this I tell everybody this. So my wife and I are sitting right next to each other and she says, So what do you think? And I said, I don't know. And she said, Why? And I said, Man, I've been there 19 years, like family. And our house, you know, we have nine acres and a 5,000 square foot home there. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to leave all that. And she said, okay. 
She said, what about the basketball part? And I said, oh, it's a no-brainer. And she goes, well, there's your answer. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, Jason, our life has revolved around college basketball and, and, and what you do. We're all going to figure that out and make it as a family. But the basketball part is what makes us all happy. And she said, if you're saying that's a no-brainer, then you've answered your, you've answered your own question. And so, you know, I kind of – I mean, that kind of sunk in, you know. Like, so I, I get in the car to drive home, and it's like – well, first of all, I'm in my office. It's 3 o'clock, and he, Mario calls. And he's like, well, what's going on? And I'm like, Mario, you told me you are going to give me till the end of the day. And he goes – I said, it's 3 o'clock here. Hell, it's 2 o'clock there. And he starts laughing, you know, and I said, man, just give me, you know, give me to the end of the day. So I think at the time, you know, my agent told me at the time he had already started calling his second option, you know. And uh, so I get in the car and I'm driving home. It's five o'clock and I call Mario and I said, Mario, look, you're going to be really mad, but just let me sleep on it. Let me just give me till in the morning. And, you know, I thought he was going to be pissed, but he was really he took a deep breath. And he said, you know what? Okay. So I go home. Uh, I, I have, uh, I don't gamble. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Uh, I have one thing, really two things. And one of them I haven't been able to do this year. And that's watch the Texas Rangers every night. But my other, my other thing that I do is, is I love Slurpees. So I stop and buy a Slurpee every day on the way home from work. And I got this one little store that I stop and get a Slurpee from. So I stop and get my Slurpee. The lady that whoa, works whoa, in there. Whoa, 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 whoa! What, what, what flavor Slurpee? Um, so I'm a Coke guy, or Dr Pepper, but it's really interesting because I'm not a caffeine person. So that's the only thing I drink is that. And I don't know how much caffeine's in it, but anyway, I don't drink caffeine. So, so I get my Slurpee, and I call. Uh, this is every day, every home. every every day of 19 years. Um, man, pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> pretty close. So I get home and we, you know, we got this swimming pool. We got nine acres, no fence, dog running around the yard, big lab running around the yard. And, you know, I'm sitting in my chair on the back porch with my wife. And she's, of course, I'm drinking a Slurpee and she's drinking a Michelob Ultra Gold. And uh, so I say, uh, what do you think? And she's like, you know, I think, you know, you know, I think, you know, it's in your gut. It's in your heart. And, uh, man, I was sitting there and I really thought it was going to be hard like sitting there looking at that place. And, uh, man, I said, you know what, we're going to do it. So my daughter, this is the best part of the story. So my daughter is 18. Mario's daughter's 15, but they're, you know, they're, they, they got to be kind of friends on the trip. And so my daughter overhears my wife and I talking about it. And so she gets on. Facebook or whatever. She gets on some Snapchat type of social or something. media. Yeah, 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 Snapchat. So she gets on Snapchat with Addie and she's like, hey, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And so, so anyway, but Mario doesn't know this. So the next morning, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to work and it's like eight or nine o'clock and I'm about to call Mario. And so I, anyway, I end up calling Mario. But the story is, is that Mario's wife wakes up at seven. And goes into Mario and says, he's taking the job. And Mario's <laughs> like, how do you know? And she says, because Addie and Jaden are on Snapchat. And Jaden said last night, 
that she overheard her mom and dad talking and that he's going to actually take the job. So it's hilarious. But anyway, I called Mario and told him, you know, hey, let's do it. And uh, so here we are. You know, we got 10 players signed and got a whole new staff hired. And, you know, luckily on the staff, I I hired all the guys. I brought two guys with me and then hired other guys that had worked with me before. So that part was was pretty easy, although I had some really good guys call and some great candidates for sure. We just uh, ended up going with some guys that had been with me before. So, have you found your new slurpy slurpy spot yet? I have. Yeah, I have. What What's it's it called? Right up, uh, Circle K. They got okay. Circle Ks here in uh, Las Cruces, and we got a slurp, a good slurp, and it makes a good one. It's a good slurpy. You know, there's a bad, there's good slurpies and bad slurpies. Um, there, there's some bad slurpies for sure, but this this place got a, it's got a good machine. It keeps them, it keeps them pretty good. So. I grab I grab me one every day, yeah. Now you now you get your say. You haven't gotten to the place because uh, I'll never forget. Like I won't I won't sell out who it was. My brothers were for a bunch of guys. He there was a there was a time when uh, he was working for one of his bosses a long time ago that he would call a different assistant, you know, a, a GA, and the GA had to run. And you know, one time he's like, "Hey, can you go pick me up that Hooting the Blowfish album?" Right, like. You get your own Slurpee, or do you have a Slurpee guy yet, Doug? Man, I would, and I—you never say never, but I am the most—I'm the least ego guy. Um, like that's just not my style or my—I would not ask an assistant coach or GA to go pick up anything for me like i wouldn't ask them to go get my laundry or go get me a slurpee or that's just not just kind of not me not my style um okay so here's the other here's the other one what do you put the slurpee in and then put the lid on or do you put the lid on with a little hole in the middle and fill it all the way up to the top what's your what's your style so the bucky's have you heard of bucky's before i have not okay so bucky's are in texas and it's this store that this guy invented, and it is, it's got the little beaver guy on the front. You've never seen a Bucky's or heard of them? I'm sure oh I've been God. by it, but no. no these I'm, places, I'm just, are, I, yeah, these places are amazing. Like, I mean, you'll drive by one of them in Texas, and there's so many people there you can't even get inside. And they're huge stores, and they've got like clothes in there and food yeah. and the whole deal. But anyway, their their Slurpee is good. But it always asks you to put the top on first and then put it inside the little hole. But I don't like to do that. So yeah. I like to fill it up until it gets to the brim and then stick the top on. And then you close it out by putting the rest of it in so that you actually get the full, you know, you get the full deal. So because then you can shake it as you're putting it in. You can shake it so that you actually get the Slurpee. You know, you get your money's worth. You want to get all of it in there, you know. So no question. This is crazy. That, that, that's, why, that's why. No, that I'm telling you. That's why I've asked. It's the granular details that make people who they are. You know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, well, I, I mean that in all sincerity, right? Like everybody has their, th- everybody has their thing. You know, everybody oh. has, everybody has a thing. I am a coffee guy. I have like very specific ways in which I want to get my coffee, and once I get it, and then I will just, I will get it at that place every day, come hell or high water. Right. So, so you get, I, so you get a coffee, you get a coffee every single day. Yes. At least, I mean, I, one is a, one is a slow day. I usually get a, a couple and it comes from, 
I mean, first, my mom used to always, you know, make her own Folgers coffee every day. And I, I grew up kind of. Yep, my dad, Folgers. Yep. Yeah, yep. I grew up to that smell. And yep. I would have a sip every now and again, but I, I didn't necessarily like the taste. And then uh, I started back on coffee when we, when I played at Oklahoma State. I'll never forget. We played Baylor. And back then, the Big 12, there was always a noon, there were noon Big 12 games. And Adrian Peterson from North Little Rock, Arkansas, is the third all-time leading scorer at Oklahoma State. Uh, we were rooming together, and we were both, like, kind of dragging ass. And he's he's like, let's make some coffee. And we had a cup of coffee before the game, and we both played well, and that would become our thing. We'd make, like, coffee in the room. And then I would usually have it, like, a half cup before a game. Sometimes it did give me the jitters when I was playing, but sometimes it was just the game. But I did that even playing professionally. And then when I got to ESPN, I wasn't necessarily on coffee. And then it was just I wasn't used to the cold in Bristol. And uh, my first home at ESPN was in a town called Burlington. And it was like a 15, 20 minute drive to work. And I never forget. I came down Jerome Avenue and I would go past the Starbucks every day. And, you know, it was like this is like in. 2003 2004 or whatever and i was working at night i'd work at 7 to 1 a.m four nights a week and i have i'm i naturally have really good energy so i just started like i got a caramel macchiato which you know i mean it it's exactly as it sounds it sounds it sounds good it's delicious it's it's terrible for you but uh, delicious and i just i went from there and then you know, by the time I left ESPN, I was getting, I had my own drink where it was four shots of espresso, two shots of chai, and then soy milk <laughs> with ice all the way up. They even called it the Duggar. We had a Starbucks on campus. I'd walk in every day. It'd be sitting there waiting for me. And I would, at the end it. of basketball season, I would go two weeks without coffee. I would get cold turkey because I felt like I became numb to the, to the caffeine. And, you know, it was like three days of headaches, and then I was fine. Then I'd slowly kind of work my way back up to the next basketball season. Uh, but, yeah, I've been a coffee coffee guy uh, most of the it last two years. It must be an Oklahoma State thing because when Phil Forte worked for me, he literally had to have two to three cups of coffee every day. It was amazing. He had, I bet he had some type of lifetime membership with Starbucks because uh, that dude loved his coffee. So maybe it was – Maybe it was an Oak State. Well, and then and then when I had when we had my son, so this is in two thousand nine. My son was he's he was always an up early. I don't think he ever cried, but he'd get up early, so I'd scoop him up and I'd take him to Starbucks. And he was like he was like the local celebrity at the Starbucks. You put him in this little Starbucks rolling high chair. I'd you know give him a bowl of Cheerios and maybe a. <laughs> On the, uh, you know, bring up, bring a computer sometimes or or I just entertain him. And then I would get on my own computer and I would do some, a bunch of reading on sports, have my cup of coffee. People stop by and say hi. Like that was what we do. So everybody in the house could sleep because he was up at, you know, crack of dawn. So yeah. that became kind of our, that became our thing. So he was, he was, That's awesome. I'd say my son was raised in a Starbucks. That's hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. That's so, awesome. so, so now, uh, this is 23 years later. What's the anniversary? Uh, man, what are we doing tonight? Um, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to take her down today, and she is due for a new a new ride. 
Uh, wow. So we're going to go down today and we're going to look for a new ride for her. Um, and then uh, there is a place here in Las Cruces called the Double Eagle. That's an old house. Uh, got a lot of history in it. And the food is absolutely fabulous. Um, so my cousin, he and his wife are leaving Texas today and they're driving to Arizona. My little cousin just uh, finished med school and she's doing her um she got her clinicals in phoenix and they're going to move out or drive out there and stay for about three months and hang out with her and so they're going to stop in i think tonight on the way and we're gonna we're gonna take them out to eat and uh that's about it man you know i'm not a i'm not the extravagant guy where we got some you know I mean, you get a new, you get a new ride, and you get a good meal. That's a pretty good day for her. I, I would, yeah, I would, I think so too. Yeah. So Here, here's one more basketball question. Yeah. You mentioned sure. your emo- you grew up in a motion offense in college. Yep. Can you run a motion anymore? Is that is that will that ever come back around? Because I asked because it's interesting. You know, uh, with Art Bryles being the the AD at her high school in Stephenville, is yep. what Art Bryles did was he just evolved the triple option, right? I mean, that is, you ask, you ask anybody who's a football guy, they're like, they're just running veer. The only difference is, you know, the splits. And now you got what you got quarterback second throw out of it. So when people thought the wishbone or the triple option was dead, Art Bryles and, uh, and uh, rich rod, those guys brought it back. Right. And now it's read option, whatever. It's the same thing, you know, same, same, same schemes, a little bit different blocking. And obviously now you, you throw the ball out of it. Yeah. Um, is, is there a world where, cause the motion offense is, it's not all the way dead, but it's mostly dead. Is there a world where it comes back? Man. I don't know. I think you and I are, how old are you? Are we close to age? 47. No, you're way younger than me. Don't you think things always come back around? I do. Bit. That's why. That's why I asked the question. I just so I, you know, yeah, it's no, like, I think it will. I mean, but come on now, you. How much patience? Like, how much patience does it take to run a, a motion? Well, it's more than patience, though. It's like read, um, reading, understanding, patience. But well, like but no, but it's not. It's not just reading, understanding. Remember, we just talked about this where kids aren't. You know, like if you go in a gym and you show a kid how to play off of a off of a pin down. Or off of screening action, where, like you said, where you have to read, like you're going to have to, and as like your your programs, for example, like yeah, you have kids that have played college basketball before, but they haven't ever played motion basketball before. Yeah. So you'd have to, yeah. and you're expected, and and they expect to play right away, and you expect them to play right away. So it it makes all of it very very difficult, you know, to establish. Hey, we're going to run motion. You know, I mean yeah. even. I mean, like I spent a bunch of time with Beard last year, and he's like, yeah, you "Just you don't have enough time with him. You can't really do uh, it." Yeah, but you know what? I mean, obviously, you know, Beard and I are are very, very close, and um, we've talked about this though. Like, you know, how much time it put takes. Like, you know, if they get there in the summer, you got to start that motion stuff then, and you know, and he's. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do this year, but I mean, even last year at Texas, I mean, they, they were still running it and it's obviously, you know, evolved into a ball screen a lot quicker than it used to be. Right. Um, But he still has those concepts. He's still trying to do those concepts as well. 
you know, the coach night concepts of the motion. Um, but it's just hard because, you know, like, for example, we do some, you know, kind of pin down on each side to get the ball to the wing, right? Because in the whack, like people just deny the wing, they won't let you catch the ball. So you got to get sure. open and get the ball to the wing. And, you know, so you'll set the pin downs to get open. And my staff is like, oh, coach, let's just run the little pin down on both sides. And I'm like, well, that's fine. But, you know, all guys defensively are going to do is just run right up the middle of it. Right. And so then if they do that, are you going to fade it? Like, do you know how to push off on that guy and turn the screen and fade it? Because if they don't, which they don't, now we got to work on that. So now that takes more practice. We got to learn how to um, we got to learn how to fade the down screen if the guy goes over the top. And if he's going to follow his footsteps, are we going to curl it? Or are we just going to pop out to the wing to get the ball to the wing so we can run the play? So you're right. I mean, the timing that it takes. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know the coaching-wise, like, you know, how long it takes for you to teach them that. And then you're worried and you're going to look up and it's like November the 8th and you're playing your first game. And yet you don't really have enough stuff in because you've been working so much on teaching them how to read a flare screen. So I don't know. It's tough, you know. And it's funny you said that about Bryles because (laughs) – so when I was at Tarleton, in order to make a little bit more money, Coach Reisman gave me like an assistant AD job. And my job was on Friday nights, I would open and close the football stadium for Stephenville High School and, you know, and open open it up for the referees uh, to come in and, and, you know, the coach, the visiting team and everything. And so, uh, man, I can't tell you how many coaching staffs for the visitors that I would see basically getting in almost fist fights at halftime because they couldn't figure out how to guard Browse's stuff. I mean, it was hilarious. Like one time I remember he took the tight end and literally he was just on the line of scrimmage and no one was guarding. Um, and he just took off running down the field and they just threw the ball to him. And like, you know, it was halftime and these two coaches are like out there fighting each other, you know, like, man, you, you should have had a guy over there on that side. Oh, don't do. And it was just crazy how he just mesmerized people and messed with their heads uh, offensively. You know, I mean, the guy was just a guy was a Brilliant. genius with that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. Brilliant. Brilliant. But, Brilliant. but it was, yeah. it was, it, it just, it's fascinating to me on how it's something that people had done for a hundred years in terms of yep. uh, running the veer. And yep. then he just tweaked it, put a little 2000, you know, l- little new look on it and threw the ball out of it and every, and it dominated college football and still kind of yep. is, you know? Yeah. I think he got that maybe from his predecessor, uh, you know, the uh, coach Yeoman at U of H, I think, you know, he had worked there and played there and I think that was it. He took all that stuff, as you said, and he just put a little twist to it, you know, and I think that's what we all try to do. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, everybody started running this kind of ball screen motion and, you know, we took on it, we took it on. And then, you know, we kind of took a little turn and changed it up a little bit. And the guy that I really got most of the stuff from and what we changed was Mark Pope, you know, when he was at Utah Valley and we played him and we were running a little similar stuff to it. And that was the year that they were really good. That was his last year before he went to Brigham Young. And uh, I mean, he's a really good coach and he did a lot of stuff out of that ball screen motion. And we stole it, you know, and I even called him a few times and his assistants and said, hey, you know, y'all kind of made it turn and twist to this, this and this. And why did you do that? And, you know, and he kind of explained it all and it made sense. And, you know, we put a little bit of a twist on that and, 
um, you know, it was good stuff. But I think we're all trying to do that now. We're just trying to figure out, you know, Doug, the thing I fight with the most is when you get a really ball-dominant point guard who's really good with it and who can really, really make plays, but just trying to get reversals, you know, trying yep. to get the ball from one side of the floor to the other. To me, that's what we fight with every year. And, you know, defensively, that's what you want. You want people to keep the ball on one side of the floor. You know, no we're question. trying to keep the ball easier, on one side guard. of the Easier to go. Yep. My, here's my yep. here's my Mark Pope story. You can you can appreciate this switching schools now. Is Dave Rice when he left left his cell phone number. Mark Pope Pope got his cell phone number. So when Dave Rice got the UNLV job, there was a year where I did 13 UNLV games in Vegas when I was at CBS, and my pattern was the same. I was living in Southern California. I was working for CBS, and so I would text Dave before I get on the Southwest flight. And I'd fly there and then I would go and I would just a lot of times go the day of the game and I would go straight from McCarran right to his office. And and Dave was amazing. He would, you know, he we just talk anyway. And I don't know if you, you have this like, you know, you have sometimes you just I have his, I had his new number, but I had his old number and you just text Dave Rice. And I can't tell you how many times I would text Dave Rice. Hey, man, are you in your office? <laughs> you know, no, we're on the <laughs> road. Like oh, it's Mark. This is Mark, this is Pope. I kept texting Mark Pope, thinking it was Dave Rice, and he would correct me, and I just never took it out of my phone for the forever. And so that oh, was that's, funny. Yeah, like hey, dude, that's you funny. gotta change this. You gotta you gotta change this number. All right. Well, listen, you've been more than gracious with your time. Happy anniversary. No, this was dude, an awesome I, catch. I, I'm sorry it took. I'm sorry it took forever for us to get together and get on this thing and. uh, Man, whatever you need from us anytime, we'd love to have you over and uh hopefully we can get this thing hopefully we can get this thing going, man. We we need to find a couple of more big guys. So if you find any if you find any laying around, holler at me and let me know. <laughs> no question. Man. That's 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 what everybody everybody's looking for. Always got a guy. Hey man, happy yeah. anniversary. Thanks for joining me. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, coach. Well, that was awesome. And uh, just a reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show runs daily, 3 to 5 Eastern, 12 to 2 Pacific. Plus, we have a one-hour daily podcast. It's called uh, In the Bonus. I'd encourage you to check it out, listen to it. I think you'll really, really like it. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. My thanks to Coach Hooten for his time. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.